Today, the, the message is entitled, Do Not Be Ashamed. And uh, this is straight out of the text um, from Paul here to Timothy. And this is one of kind of the major themes of this book is just pressing us, as we talked about last week, to continue to fan the flame of our faith so we can grow stronger and deeper in Christ, walking with him and uh, being on point um, in the faith um, in our everyday lives. And so um, I wanted to start today, just if you, some of you have been around for a while, some of you might be new, but a lot of you have heard my story. Um, I was, you know, born a pastor's kid. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home for the most part, and so I was taught the gospel early on. I understood it at an early age, uh, age five, six. I accepted Christ and was baptized and was following the Lord. Um, but um, in my teenage years, I turned back on my faith, and uh, I, I wasn't walking with Christ at all. Um, I, would, I looked like a Christian at church, um, but not anywhere else. And uh, some of you might be familiar with what I'm talking about. Um, I, especially at school, uh, I did not want anybody really knowing that I was a Christian. I didn't want to, to, to live that out because I saw how they were treated. I saw how they were outcast and how they were kind of pushed to the side and they didn't, they didn't have friends. They didn't have involvement a lot of times and I didn't want that. I, I liked my friends and I liked doing what they were doing even though God said that was a sin or not to be doing that. That was, was appealing to my heart in those days and um, so I did not... Uh, show my faith, I did not walk with Christ, I ignored what I knew God's word said, I ignored what I knew the gospel called me to, and I look back now and I realize it was all because, honestly, I was ashamed of the gospel. I really was. I was ashamed of what God's word said, I was ashamed to call sin, sin, and let that bear on my life, Um, I was ashamed of living out of faith that would point to Jesus and his message. And in fact, because of that, I was not only ashamed of him, but I was bringing shame on him and on the gospel. Because I was claiming to be a Christian, or I would, um, you know, people knew my background there, but I was not living that out in any um, visible way in my life. So that went on for several years until finally um, God got my attention again. Through, um, through a betrayal and through a loss of some really close relationships in my life. It just kind of broke me, and brought me to this place where I hit rock bottom, and I realized that my way was not working. <laughs> um, and I realized that, that, that all it brought me was pain and suffering, and what I thought was good was not. God showed me at that point in a fresh way my need for Jesus, my need for the gospel, and not just my need for it, but, but how valuable it was that he was the answer for life's problems. He was the only answer that I could find to get me through in a way that actually was anything worth living for. And it was that point when God started to show me that, that he was nothing to be ashamed of. In fact, he was the best thing that had ever happened to me that my heart started to change, that he started to do a new work in me, and I stopped being ashamed of the gospel when my heart was finally and fully given to Christ. And that's where Paul's at when he's writing this letter to Timothy. He's, he's been following Jesus for a lot of years, and he is all in. And he's trying to, uh, to encourage and to press Timothy, like, listen, if you're really going to follow Christ, if you're really going to make an impact with the Lord cannot be ashamed of the gospel. 
That's where Paul's at. That's where he wants Timothy to be at. That's where he wants us to be at. And so that's all we're going to look at today. It's just simply this. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. That's Paul's command to all of us as Christians, all believers. So let me show you this here. Look at verse 8. Chapter 1, 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 8. It says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So point number one this morning is this, do not be ashamed to suffer for the gospel because of your hope in Christ. Do not be ashamed to suffer for the gospel because of your hope in Christ. He starts off here right in verse 8. The first thing he says, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. The word testimony there, the way he's using it is basically just means the, the facts, right? The testimony, the facts about Jesus Christ and his saving work. Today, what we oftentimes will just call the gospel. And he's assuring Timothy, like, don't be ashamed about this. And then he goes on in very specific detail to list out five fundamental, specific truths about the gospel. And I want to just take some time just to walk through those this morning nice and slow, because I think this is a great encouragement and reminder to our hearts as Christians about what the gospel truly is and why we believe this. And if you're new to church and maybe you're new to Jesus, man, this is a great introduction for you to know what the gospel truly is all about. So let me give you five things here that Paul points out. Number one, the gospel is a calling. He says right there that God saved us and called us. You see, through the gospel, God saves his people from their sin. Absolutely. That's the foundation. Right? He saves us from our sin. But it's not simply that. It's not simply a one-time event. It's not a, a one-and-done thing. Salvation is actually just the beginning of the gospel. The gospel also calls us to a lifestyle of worship, a lifestyle of following Jesus where we love him and we follow him and we serve him and we share him with others. It's a calling on our lives. It's not just something that Jesus did once upon a time. It's something that Jesus is still doing in us and through us as he calls us to follow him. And so if you've been a Christian for a long time, man, like just be encouraged and be reminded that the gospel isn't something that you did once upon a time when you believed in Jesus. This is something that your, your life is built on and continues to flow from as a follower of Jesus Christ. It's a calling. Number two, the gospel is a gift. He says right here that, that he's called us not because of our works, but his own purpose and grace. There is absolutely nothing that we can do to earn God's forgiveness. We sang about that earlier in one of our songs. There's nothing that we can do to make up for the sin that we have committed against an almighty and holy God. 
only by His grace. It says that salvation comes from His purpose and His grace. It's His choice. It's God's power that saves us. Because grace is a gift. In fact, I think this is oftentimes the hardest part about the gospel for many people, is to realize that it's a gift. And if it's a gift, that means I have to receive it. And in order to receive it, I have to admit that I need it. I have to humble myself and come to the place where I confess my own sin and my need to be saved by the grace and the gift of God. God, The gospel is a calling. The gospel is a gift. Number three, this is my favorite one. The gospel is premeditated. It says there that he gave it before the ages began. See, if you know anything about our God, you know that he is eternal. He existed before anything else. He has always been. And before he created anything, he knew. He already had the foreknowledge of all of time. He knew exactly what was going to happen, exactly how it was going to happen, exactly when it was going to happen, which means that he knew that you and I, that the humankind, were going to rebel against him and sin against him before he ever created us. And yet, although he knew he would have to come and suffer and die to fix our sin problem, He still created us. He still chose us. He still desired to have a people who bared His image and were in relationship with Him. And He loved us enough to say yes to us when He already knew we were going to say no to Him. The Gospel was premeditated. Number four, the gospel is real. He goes on to say that although he gave it to us before the ages began, that it was manifested through the appearing of our Savior. He's talking about Jesus Christ coming to earth there. And listen, this story that we celebrate, that we sing about, that we preach, that we talk about, this is not a fantasy. This is not a fable. This is not a fairy tale. This is history. This is fact. This is real. This is verified by historical record outside of the Bible. This, this is, there's a multitude, not one, not two, a multitude of eyewitnesses that saw him after his resurrection. There, there's a whole history-altering testimony of a people who, although persecuted and killed and stoned and beaten, still professed that they knew and saw Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. This isn't a made-up story. This is a real historical event. God really came to earth to save us. He was born as a real man. He suffered a real death on the cross for our sins. And then He was buried and He came back in a real resurrection. This is why we worship Him. Do you know anybody else who has that story? 
gospel is real. And then lastly, we see here that the gospel is hope. It says that in, in his manifestation, in his appearance, he brought death, I'm sorry, he abolished death and brought life and immortality. When it says that he abolished death, it's actually talking about three types of death. All of them are connected to our sin and our choice to sin. Um, the three types of death that are a result of sin. First, you have physical death, where the soul is separated from the body. We're all very familiar with that version. We've seen that a lot, unfortunately. You also have spiritual death, where the soul is separated from God because of our sin. He's holy, we're not, and so separation occurs. And then you have eternal death, where the soul is separated both from the body and from God for all of eternity. But here it says that Jesus came to abolish death. I actually really like that it uses that word right there. It's, it's kind of a Greek, that Greek word there is kind of hard to translate. It basically means um, defeated or overthrown. But I like abolished because it gives us a good like anchor point for our reference because the main thing that we think about when we think about abolished is to have abolished slavery in our country, right, so many years ago. But when you think about that, how that happened historically, at first it happened by decree, right? Like first there had to be a law that was passed or someone who said, this is no longer allowed, this is wrong, this is abolished. But we all know, unfortunately, from history, in actuality, it took several years for that to come to fruition and to truly and fully be abolished in our country. Death is the same way. It was abolished at Christ's resurrection. It was defeated. It was decreed no more. But we all know from personal experience, that it's not yet fully destroyed. We do still physically die on this earth. But those who are in Christ are guaranteed an eternal resurrection body with Him. So this is a promise yet to be fulfilled. It's been started by Christ, but it's still going to be finished when He comes again in all of His glory and we all get to go and live with Him in eternity forever. And that's why it means, that he, that's why it says that he brought life and immortality. He brought this promise to us. This is our greatest hope. Sin, struggle, suffering, death, that is not the end. Not for those who believe in Jesus. Not for those who are not ashamed of the gospel. We are guaranteed life and immortality with God. If we will confess our sins, repent, turn away from those, and trust in Jesus Christ, we will be saved and have new life forever. And if you're here today and, and you don't have that yet, man, receive the gift. God's offering you the gift of his grace this morning. Confess your sins, repent, turn to Jesus, receive the gift and be saved. But for those of us who have that, look what Paul says. He says in verse 8, Do not be ashamed 
of the testimony, but rather share in suffering for the gospel. Paul here is showing Timothy that he has a choice. All of us have a choice in the gospel. You either get two things, things, either shame or suffering. Some of you are like, option three, please. Listen, the gospel is never an easy road. If anybody told you that, they sold you a bill of goods. If that was true, we could not build churches fast enough to put people in. Because if it was that easy, if it was always easy, everyone would come. But Timothy, Paul's telling Timothy here, listen, when the gospel comes, you have a choice. You're either going to turn away in fear of what it will cost you, because it will cost you, or you're going to embrace it in suffering because you know what it already cost Christ. And we're willing to put our lives with His and suffer for the one who gave everything for us. Paul urges Timothy, don't turn away. Don't turn away. Step into the suffering with Christ, with Paul, by the power of the Holy Spirit. After his list of gospel truths there, he then reassures Timothy again. Look further down. He says, I am not ashamed. Like Paul, like, like if, 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 you know, if, you, if you're not with me yet, if you don't see it, like, look at me. I am not ashamed, he proclaims, because I know whom I have believed. This is our foundation. This is our reason. We are not ashamed because we know Jesus. Paul knew him. He says, I have faith in him. I have a relationship with him. I have a history with him and his great love for me. He's the real deal. So I can never be ashamed of his message. And furthermore, he says, because he is able to guard me. And the gospel that he has entrusted to me. His power will protect me, will defend me, will hold me fast no matter what I face. That's the hope that we have in Jesus, that we can walk through the suffering, we can keep following in the light of the gospel because he is always with us and the Holy Spirit's power is with us, guarding us and defending us and the gospel that he has given us. He says, until that day, which that day just is shorthand for Judgment Day. There is a day that is coming for all of us where we will stand before the Lord and give an account of our life. And none of us can pass that test on our own. None. Zero. Only those of us who can say, not I, but Christ. My hope is in Him. My trust is in Him. He took care of my sins. He's the reason I get in. And Paul assures us that if we have that faith in Jesus, that he will guard us until that day. Until we get to experience his victory 
and our eternity with Him. So do not be ashamed to suffer for the gospel because our hope is in Jesus Christ. You know, as I was thinking about this this week, <coughs> pardon me, Paul's words in this passage, I think they carry even more weight when we remember where he's writing from. Writing from a Roman prison, maybe days or hours from his own execution. He is literally looking death in the face. He's getting ready to die and suffer death because of the gospel. And on the eve of that, he writes to Timothy, I'm not ashamed. Nothing has changed for Paul. He's still unashamed of the gospel because he trusts in Christ to save him no matter what happens in this life. I think this type of boldness, this type of, of staring that in the, faith is, in the face is shocking to our culture. Our culture does everything possible to avoid suffering and to avoid death, right? Like you can look at the statistics. We spend thousands and thousands of dollars, tons of money every year trying to stay young and stay healthy and prolong our lives. Like some of y'all are already about to default on your gym membership from January, okay? Like, we're always trying to do something to avoid death. We're uncomfortable with death. We're uncomfortable with funerals. We don't even like to talk about them or think about them. Even the strongest and the toughest among us can be brought to tears and trembling when they finally get to the end and they have to look face look into the face of death. And yet Paul shows no sign of fear. No sign of retreat. He once again affirms he is not ashamed. He's willing to suffer. He knows death is coming, but he also knows that death is not the end for the Christian. It's only a portal into the presence of Christ. And so he goes on unashamed. Christian, here's our life. We suffer now in order to celebrate then. That's what we signed up for. We have hope that outlives this life, that outlives death, that outlives the suffering. The hope of Jesus Christ. So do not be ashamed to suffer for the gospel because of your hope. In Christ. That's the first thing that we see Paul say to Timothy. But there's more. Look at verse 13. It says, Do not be ashamed of the sound words of truth. I'm sorry. Oops. That's point number two. Let me read the scripture first. <laughs> verse 13. Much more important than what I say. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So here's the second point. Do not be ashamed of the sound words of truth. Because of your love of Christ, for Christ. Do not be ashamed of the sound words of truth because of your love for Christ. Right here when Paul says, follow the pattern of sound words, if we were to translate that like very specifically, it would be more like 
healthy teaching or good teaching. It's kind of what he's talking about. He's, he's pointing Timothy back to sound biblical doctrines that he's been teaching him for all these years prior. Saying all of that that I've taught you, God, the truth of God's word. He says, follow the pattern or live by that standard. Walk according to God's word. Walk according to God's truth. Make God's truth the standard for your life. Now, in order to do that, we have to talk about truth. Which, if we're being honest, in our day and age has become a very watered-down word. Webster's Dictionary defines truth like this. Truth is the real facts about something. The things that are true. I don't know how they get away with that. And when I was in school, we were always told you couldn't put the word in the definition. Right? But nonetheless, another definition was that which is in accordance with fact or reality. I like that one. That's what truth is. But it's become popular in our days to talk about things like my truth. Or your truth. Have you heard these phrases? Inferring that something might be true for me that's not true for you. But here's the problem with that. That's not the way truth works. (laughs) Just by definition, that's not what truth is. Truth doesn't work that way all live in the same reality. We all live and function off the same set of facts and events. There is a truth that stands whether we like it or not. And so the term my truth really isn't about truth at all. It's about my perception or my experience or my opinion. All of which may or may not be in line with actual truth. Because as humans, all of us, all of us, we are flawed. We are finite. We have finite minds. We have limited perspectives. We have personal bias. We all do. Whether we like to admit it or not. There is only one person, there is only one being who is completely infallible and has perfect understanding of all things and therefore his perspective is the only one who has the ability to actually discern truth. And that's God. There is no other truth. We don't need any, we don't need any qualifier for the word truth, because there's only one, and it belongs to the Lord, not to you and I. He is the only reliable and ultimate authority on what is true. So anything that I think, anything that I perceive to be true that doesn't align with God's word, that doesn't align with God's truth, is not true. 
my truth. It's my rebellion if it's against God's truth. That's why Paul calls Timothy back here. He reminds him, he says, listen, follow the pattern of God's truth and sound words. Because that's the only one there is. Don't be ashamed of the only real truth that exists. Embrace it. Follow it. Love God's truth. And he tells him how to. He says, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This is the game changer right here. This is the only way this works. When I finally experience the faith and the love of Christ, it opens my eyes to actually be able to see truth. The scales fall off. The blindness is cured. The sin that blocks me from seeing is removed when I experience the faith and love of Christ and I can finally see God's truth for what it really is. I have to have that. The love of Christ and the gift of faith, it changes my heart. It changes my mind to believe that what God says is true is actually true. That his truth trumps me. Then out of that new love, out of that new faith, then can flow works for God. Then I can actually follow his sound words and his sound teaching. I'm no longer ashamed because he is the one that I love. He is the one that I worship. And so I want to follow the pattern that he has laid out. Do not be ashamed of the sound words of truth because of your love for Christ. It starts with a love where God changes our hearts. Paul gives Timothy one thing here. Look at verse 14. He says, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. He keeps going in 15. He says, You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phargelius and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Last thing today, point number three, do not be ashamed to stand for the gospel because of the Spirit of Christ. Do not be ashamed to stand for the gospel because of the Spirit of Christ. Right here, Paul leads again with the Holy Spirit. He says, by the Holy Spirit, by the same Holy Spirit, that back in verse 7, right, gives us that power. By the same Holy Spirit in verse 8, that we're told here that will give us the power to not be ashamed, the power to walk through suffering. By the same Holy Spirit, he says, follow, walk with him, and guard the good deposits. Guard there just means to stand, to defend, to keep something from being destroyed. And Paul here, his emphasis here is of something of divine importance. Right? The gospel. 
stand for the gospel, Timothy, and the power of the Holy Spirit, because it's His power that can never be defeated. If we try to do it in our power, things go really bad. I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you tried to like witness to somebody or share the gospel with somebody in your own power and it just blew up in your face. <laughs> it's the power of the Spirit in us that keeps us able to stand and to guard the good deposits. And this is, I think, a great reminder that the gospel marches on against all attacks, against all persecution by the power of the Spirit through the people of God. Through God's church. Like, listen, I, I don't understand it. I don't get it. But for whatever reason, God chose us to be plan A for the gospel going out into the world. Right? And there is no plan B. In my mind, there's a lot better, more efficient, more effective ways to do it. But for whatever reason, he chose broken people like us, the church, the people of God, to be the vehicle to take the gospel to the world. And so he's telling us here, guard the good deposits. Guard the gospel that survived Jewish and Roman persecution at the same time in a church that just started. Think about the gospel marched through all of that. The gospel, gospel has survived across borders and wars and oceans and cultures and prejudice and poverty. It's lasted through all of this. It keeps marching on through the ages by God's ordained vehicle, the church. And it's still victorious today as it continues to plant new churches like Harvest Church, now five years old, still standing for the same gospel that started the whole thing. That's our job, church. This is what we're called to. To guard the good deposit, so the gospel can spread all over the globe. And he emphasizes it here at the end with this, it's kind of weird, like he jumps into these stories all of a sudden about these people, but here's what I think he's saying. He's like, listen, guard the good deposits even if you stand alone. Even if you're the only one. He says, listen, you know, all in Asia turned away from me. Now, it doesn't actually mean all, because, you know, Timothy is in Ephesus, and Ephesus is in Asia, okay? So not everyone has turned away. He's using some, some hyperbole here, but many who had believed, many who had followed Paul and his teachings in the gospel have turned away from him. Some of them, I guess maybe the leaders, the guys here he names, Phygelus and Hermogenes, seem to be kind of part of that opposition that have turned away. Asia, again, just to help us orient our brains correctly. Asia is not like the continent Asia that we think about today. Asia was a region there near Jerusalem, near Judea, of which Ephesus was the capital. So the church that Timothy is leading is in the capital city of this region where all these people have turned away from Christ. And Timothy's trying to figure out what to do with that. And Paul's reassuring him, listen, no matter how many people turn away, guard the deposits. Be like Onesiphorus. He gives one example of one guy who continued to stand strong and guard the deposit. He says, listen, he was not ashamed. He served 
faithfully both in Ephesus and he came to Rome and found me. He's been serving me here. Like, be like him. And he prays that the Lord would grant him mercy. Because Paul knows that God is faithful to those who are faithful to him. Every time. I told you earlier about how I was ashamed of the gospel for all those years until God confronted me and changed my heart. And after that, things started to change. But let's just be honest, it still took some time to grow in boldness for the gospel. It's not like a light switch. It doesn't always happen overnight. And I remember when I got out of college and I first started my, my first teaching position and I had all these other teachers around me. It was a pretty big school. All these other teachers around me that, that were not followers of Christ, were not believers, and I'm right back in that place of, okay, how do I make my way here? How do I fit in? How do I? And I was, I was tempted at the, you know, the happy hours and the department parties and the lunch times and the hallway conversations to, to not let my faith show, to not stand for the gospel in that place of, of work. But not this time. I couldn't do that anymore. Because the Lord had changed my heart. He had changed my life. He, was, he, he made everything different. And I couldn't, I couldn't hold that back anymore. Christ was in me. I knew him. I believed in him. And he changed my life. And so I started to stand for the gospel. I started to talk about my faith in those conversations. I started to share things with my coworkers. And they weren't always received great. Sometimes they were. Sometimes they weren't. It was never, no one ever stoned me. Praise the Lord. Okay, but like, but it took a step of boldness by the Spirit and the power within me when He strengthened me and I learned how not to be ashamed. Step by step. And I'll be honest, there, there are still times today where maybe we're talking with our neighbors, you know, who aren't believers, or we're having to deal with something with the teachers at the girls' school who don't know Jesus, or a community leader I'm working with. And, and it's, there's still a little bit in me that like, like has this tendency to want to maybe kind of just soft play the gospel, right? Like, just not be, like, completely out there because that might create, like, some disadvantage or some awkward conversation or some issues. But friends, in the end, I know that's not an option. We have to stand for the gospel. We have to be honest about God's word and about God's truth, because if they don't hear it from us, who are they going to hear it from? How will they ever know of their need for a Savior and the God who loves them, who came to be the Savior for them, if we don't take a stand? If we don't speak up? We try to do so lovingly. We try to do so graciously. We don't have to be jerks about it. Please don't be a jerk about the gospel. That seems very, like, counterproductive. Okay? But we have to stand. We cannot be ashamed of the Savior, of our Lord, of the gospel. Stand for the gospel in the Spirit of Christ. His power. Paul's pressing us here. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. Now, let me just tell you this morning, I know, 
that preaches easy, but that lives hard. Right? Like, it's great to get up here and say it. I feel, I feel awesome right now. Like, yes, yes. Do not be ashamed. And some of you are like, yes. And then tomorrow morning, you're going to wake up and go to, go to work. And you're going to go to school. You're going to go to your, the community, wherever you're going to be. Not being ashamed means sometimes, listen to me, friends, sometimes we're going to have to suffer. We are. I wish it wasn't that way, but it is. Are we prepared for that? It means having to live for Christ and to stand for his word, even when it's hard, even when it's going to cost me something. And it will. It means not compromising his truth for my comfort. It's hard. But thank the Lord. He has given us the gift of His Holy Spirit in us, filling us with the power of God to stand for the gospel. I want to pray for us this morning that we would embrace more of the Holy Spirit. We would experience more of that power to stand for the gospel. Will you stand with me and let's pray and let's respond to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we just come to you this morning, God. We thank you. We praise your holy name, God. You are with us, Lord, that you are for us. Lord, that we do not need to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, forgive us for the times that we have been ashamed of you. We've been ashamed of your gospel. Lord, forgive us when we have backed down, when we have kept silent, when we've compromised our decisions when we just went along with sin, when we failed to live for you. Lord, some of us, maybe that was last night. Maybe that was this past week. Maybe even right now in our hearts, Lord, we recognize and we know that there's something inside of us that is ashamed. Even when we don't say it out loud. Lord, we need you. We need your spirit. We need your power in us. We need you every day to walk unashamed of the gospel. Lord, fill us up again. Lord, help us to walk with you. Help us to walk in truth. Help us to walk in hope together. Help us to suffer well and to stand for the gospel in every area of our lives. Lord, we truly want to magnify you in everything that we Lord, fill us up. Fill us up today. By your power. In Christ's name we pray.